today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Very exciting news if you are a soccer fan in the Hamil- in the Hammer. Uh, Hamilton is getting its own soccer team. The Canadian Premier League announced its newest franchise last night, Forge FC. Here's what co-owner Bob Young had to say. A combination of our stadium and the Tiger Cats business office. We have executives and we have ticket sellers who know what they are doing. So compared to some of our competitors, we're starting at a huge advantage. If we can't parlay that into results on the field, I'll be very surprised. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show right here on CHML and, of course, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. You can uh, read him there and at thespec.com. Scott, how are you today? I am excellent. It's Friday, Scott. How I know. could not be excellent on a summer Friday? Absolutely. A Friday the 13th, I might add. I forgot about that, but yes, that's, uh, we'll, we'll, that's okay, too. It's still summer and it's still Friday. All right, so uh, will this work this time? Let me say this. Um, I think Bob Young is a guy who has done a lot of great things for this city. I think he's a good man. I think he is someone... This that, doesn't uh, sound like it's going anywhere positive. <laughs> I, I, I have, and I, I think I applaud him for trying something, and I applaud him for putting his money where his mouth is and where his passion is. I have serious doubts about this and I know that there are people in the soccer community John McGrain is a man I respect immensely and he believes wholeheartedly in this and has explained it to me I have huge doubts about this about this league partly because of past experiences here in Hamilton but also you need for this thing to go you need a league you need strong teams all across the country so even if Bob Young is willing to push this and push this and do what he told Bill Kelly an hour ago and do what he was saying on your clip there. And if he's willing to pour money into it and do everything else, he also needs all the other owners around the league to do the same, to stick with it if money is being lost. Uh, I, I'm, we'll see. We'll see. If, if this thing turns out to be a raging success, I will be the first one to come back on your show and say, I misread it completely, but I just look at this and I go, soccer has not worked here before. We have... The diehard soccer fans want to watch the Premier League on TV or the Bundesliga or something else. There are people who will go down the road to MLS to watch TFC play. Uh, this is going to be a lower-level league. I just don't, I don't see the market for this. I don't see the appeal for this with a lot of people. I don't see how you're going to get 14,000 people, which I believe is what they said is going to be the capacity of the stadium for the games. I just don't see it. What uh, what do we know about this league? What do we know about these teams? Well, um, the idea behind this, and, and the idea behind it certainly, I think, is um, uh, from, from at least part of the perspective, is is a good idea, and that is Canadians don't have Canadian players once they finish university. Let's say they've gone down to somewhere on a soccer scholarship somewhere. They're playing at Mac or wherever else, and they graduate if they haven't been drafted into MLS or beyond that, into premiership or somewhere else, um, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to play after that. And so yeah. if we're going to try and build a national program, because our men's team has been awful for forever, it's been awful. So if we're going to try and build a national team, build Canadian soccer, the idea is we need some place for these people after they're done school to come and play professionally and stay in the game and keep going and, and grow the game that way. That's, that's an admirable idea for sure. 
The question is going to be, who are these players going to be? And I think this is one of the areas where this league, I think, is going to struggle. Because if you're, a, if you're an exceptional talent, you're not playing in this league. You're going over to Europe somewhere. If you're one of those super elite, elite, elite players. If you're in university in the States, if you're a scholarship athlete, and you're really, really good, maybe not elite level enough to go to Europe, but if you're really, really good, you'll probably get drafted in MLS and you'll want to go there because there's serious money there potentially. So this is going to be the tier after that. So right. um, could it be entertaining soccer? I Sure, it could be. I guess. I don't know. But this is not going to be the who's who of of soccer. This For most people, this is going to be the who's that of soccer. Uh, so more as a feeder league, more as a training league. I see what your point is there. What what about though uh, having major cities involved and not having major cities involved? Like you said, if it's going to be like a CFL, but a, you know, uh, soccer. I mean, you know, it has to have represent representation in all the major centers as well. No, sure it does. It, it, and and they've got a number of big cities, and they've got a number of owners who have money. That's a great thing they've done. I mean, there are leagues that have started that have basically taken. Look, hey, Scott, you got a 50 bucks? Good, you're an owner. Come on in. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, halfway through the first season, the owner goes, wait a second, I, you know, this is not working. And then the thing folds, and we've seen this tried a bunch of times. So full marks to them for the process and the work they've put in to make sure this thing is as professional, as set up properly as it could be. This is not a shot about that. I think they've probably they've put a ton of work into this, and they have tried to establish the foundations of this as well as possible for something here. And so you do have owners who have money. You do have responsible people who are in charge of this, uh, and you do have major cities. The question is going to be: Are the people in those major cities going to want to spend their time and their entertainment, sports, free time dollars? to go and watch a level of soccer that is, I don't know where it's going to be, but it's not going to be the top, top end. It's going to be a developmental league. And look, we've we've had, in Hamilton, you've got a couple other issues here. We have a past with, say, the Bulldogs. Bulldogs have always been a challenge because, A, it's not the NHL. B, people who are diehard hockey fans want to watch the best hockey. C, we don't like being seen as a baby brother or baby sister to Toronto. So now Toronto's got MLS, we've got this lower level. Is that going to play against us? You've also got a new startup basketball, pro basketball league that is going to be coming and playing in Hamilton at the same time, yeah. as well as the Ticats, while people are away at the cottage or then going back to school. These are challenging things that are all going to play. And, and who are you going to draw? Who, who are the people? Yeah, but you know, you could draw a perfect example, you know, with this being a lower level league, with this being a training league, a feeder league, what have you, a developmental league. You know, you could say the same thing about the Bulldogs when they went from an AHL team to an OHL team. And, exactly. And, and look what happened. So, you know, if people, people aren't going to compare apples to oranges, and if there is something that is a serious developmental uh, league, I think they'll be interested in that just as much as they're interested in the Bulldogs, no? Well, and so let's say that you've got, let's say you use roughly the same numbers. The Bulldogs drew about 5,000 per game this year. So let's say you drew 5,000 to a soccer team at Tim Hortons Field. Um, MLS, part of the reason why TFC has been such a huge success in the last number of years, A, is for sure because of the quality of the players on the field. They've had a good team. We saw what they did last year. They won MLS Mm -hmm. Cup. They, They almost 
won the Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League. They have a great team. But, Scott, you've seen what happens down at BMO Field when they are playing well and they've got their fans going. And the, yeah, it's the, pretty cool. they got the flares and the oh. flags and the smoke going in the end zone. People are jumping and singing, and it's a packed house. Mm. Part of the soft wasn't always like It wasn't no. always like that, though, Scott. Well, it started almost like that yeah, when, it was first, when they first came. It drifted off because they were so bad. But you're exactly right. So what is part of the issue here? Part of the, part of the excitement and part of the thing about soccer in this country and, and elsewhere is the atmosphere plays a huge role in it. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. Well, if there's 5,000 people in Tim Hortons Field, it's hard to make atmosphere, just like it's hard to make atmosphere when you've got 4,000 people at, at uh, First Ontario Centre for yeah. a Bulldogs game. It's tough. And so that's something you're going to have to overcome as well. And we've seen... Again, maybe my skepticism here, uh, the Ticats certainly have the front office, the business office, the, 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 the group all put together, as Bob said in the clip before we came on. He's got ticket sellers and executives and everything else. They're in place. But we've seen enough teams roll through Hamilton with big plans and big hope and big optimism, and they're gone. And we will see. I, I think that Bob will be committed to this. I really do. I think that he is going to stick this thing out. He's going to need, though, to have that same thing at all the other cities and all the other teams. Because if this thing, if you suddenly have two or three teams that it doesn't work for and the league starts to shrink, the first thing people are going to, oh, the league is shrinking, it's not working, and then you're on a downward momentum thing. You've got to build this. It's got to work. It's got to work from the beginning or at least start looking like it's building to something. I, again, I'll come back on here and tell you I was dead wrong if this thing turns out to be the biggest success ever. I just have real doubts. Uh, that being said, what about, and you know, when I was listening to Bob Young on with Bill Kelly earlier on today, and uh, Bob Young brought up even the fact that uh, the, the color of the logo and such isn't the traditional black and golds. Uh, he said, we're appealing to young people. We're not appealing to a fan base that's been there forever uh, and, and a logo and a brand that's there that's been there for level forever. We're appealing to a brand new fan. So um, considering how much soccer has taken off, especially with young people, when you look at baseball, hockey, and, and all the other sports that, that Ontario kids normally play, soccer is taking off. Um, so is, 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 there not, sport, is, there, is, sure. there, is there not momentum there with bringing these young people in and giving them a goal and a realistic feeder system and such? So, you know, the, you know, once you start from that ground level and keep going and going and going, you know, I mean, you're starting something up as opposed to, say, marketing a CFL team. As I said a few moments ago, and I, and I, I, I absolutely believe this, that I think it's a noble endeavor to try and give a place for Canadians who have no other place play no but i'm not talking about nobility here what i'm talking about is are we underestimating the power of this game with young people and the international attraction uh, of this game to people and if we give the young people a platform and and something to strive for and, and and even support i mean again what's the role of minor soccer in all of this are they getting involved with minor soccer bringing those kids to the games getting them involved i mean it's no doubt i mean we all remember we all remember what happened we all remember it wasn't that long ago it was only a couple of decades 
decades ago. Oh, my God, has it been that long? Where, you know, we were trying to save all these CFL teams because they went through a period of where they totally lost contact with the young fan. And now, of course, they've they've come back and with a new TV package and are doing doing a lot better. But the same thing with this team. I mean, if they can start and build that young base and keep it moving and get the, the, the young leagues and organizations involved, can you not see support growing that way? I mean, uh, I, I mean, guys our age, we're not going to maybe go out and do it, but maybe the young kids Well, no, are. they're going to hope, Scott, the guys our age are going to bring our kids because our kids exactly. are interested. So the exactly. kids drag us out there. Exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, the two challenges that I would say you're going to face with that are this. Uh, the first one is the kids who are playing soccer who would be your, if, that, if that's what you're talking about, your target audience, when do they play soccer? In the evenings, on weekends, in the summertime, when will you have games? When yeah, but you could say that so, you could say that about any minor sport. Of course, you can. And this has been a, this is kids aren't going to play kids aren't going to play hockey on the weekend. They'll be busy watching it. That doesn't make sense. No, it does. Make, it, this is something that the Bulldogs, for example, have have struggled with. Is you try to bring in all the youth teams, but the times when your games are on are the times that the youth teams are also playing. It's a struggle. So yes, you could you could argue that we're going after them, and maybe you'll have success. But it's not as easy as just saying everybody who plays is going to come out and watch our game. The second thing is... If everybody who played came out and watched, they'd be building a bigger stadium. Of course they would. Of course they would. And the other issue is that young kids... Who who do young kids... I don't know if your kids have any sports heroes who they like to watch on sports, whether it's race or whatever else. They no, my kids aren't necessarily into racing just because okay, I am, but they're, Scott. they're celebrities. Oh, yeah, they, absolutely. They love the celebrities. Yes, they love yeah. the big-name players. Yes. If you don't have any big-name players, because the big stars are at different leagues, yeah. you're going to have to try and create celebrities somehow. That's, a, that's not – it's possible, but it's not easy to do. You're going to have to turn somebody who otherwise is not a household name into a household name that appeals to those kids that they say, I want to go out and see – Scott Thompson, who's now a striker on Forge FC, play. It's doable. It's possible. It's not impossible, but it's a lot of work to try to do that. Hmm. So um, do you feel the commitment from other teams that you feel from Bob Young? I can't. I, I don't know. I absolutely, and I said right off the top when I say this again, I absolutely salute Bob Young for this. I think that his commitment is unquestioned. I think he is absolutely invested in this. I think that the idea that he's had, he's driven this bus, and uh, you can't question his involvement in this thing. And if all the other owners share the exact same thing, then that's a really, really good thing. I, I read in the paper, Steve Milton had a piece today, and if I remember my numbers correctly, the owners were told, your first year at-risk amount of money was 3 to $4 million. Now, we know that leagues and other businesses that start up, most of them don't have success overnight immediate, so that you go from, it may cost you $4 million this year to you're suddenly making money the next year. That could be a multi-year amount of money, potentially, I'm thinking, that you could be on the hook for. That's going to be one of the places, Scott, where you see who is really committed. If you're having money flying out the door while you're trying to build something, how committed are you? And that's going to be one of the key, key parts to this is I I believe wholeheartedly that Bob Young is committed, but you can't have a league with just one or two guys who are 
showing that same level. So they have to hope and they have to believe that the other guys running these teams are also that, that if they do, man, you've got a great, great foundation to at least begin trying to build this thing. If you don't, you got trouble. How important is it that they make contact with minor soccer? Oh, huge. Of course, that's going to be huge. Just as I say, I go back to the Bulldogs, the same way trying to get kids who are locals to... I mean, you know, you look at even the ki- even look at the Kids' Day games that uh, that the Bulldogs have done. I mean, I, I think that's an ex- absolutely brilliant idea. Sure and I think is. that's gone a long way in, in bringing young fans into the into the stands. Sure it is, and I would expect and I would hope because, it, yeah, those school day games are great exposure. Those kids, they even if they're not hockey fans or Bulldogs fans, maybe a few of them go home after that and go, you know what, I had a great time at that game. Mom, Dad, can we go to a game again? So, yes, I would expect that, that is, uh, that's a, a definite starting point. I would expect that the, the Ticats front office through this front office is going to be working closely and pushing hard through all the local soccer associations to find as many tentacles they can get into the soccer fans in this community that they can. Uh, I expect that they're going to be working exceptionally hard to try to get extensive media coverage because, again, if you're not visible... You don't exist, and there's there's a there's a million different channels. I don't know what the media plan is going to be. I don't know if these games are going to be televised, but you know we live. I don't know if they're going to just stream them, which would be fine too. You've got to be visible, though. It's not you can't just bank on people showing up. You have to make it so that people want to show up. They watch your program. They stream your games. They see the highlights. They see unbelievably high level of play or incredibly exciting games or crazy finishes or these kind of things. And they say, yeah, you know what? Now it's time to go check that out. Mm. And if they can do all those things, Scott, if they can do all those things, which is a monumental mountain to climb, but if they can do all those things, this thing has a chance to go. I just am looking for past precedent, uh, past experience. It's a tough one. Calgary, Edmonton, Halifax, Winnipeg, York, which is York University, Hamilton, still to be announced, Vancouver Island, rumored Ottawa. Uh, advantage to these sort of being secondary cities, more of a draw because of that. Yeah, Vancouver may be tougher because they already Vancouver have Island. Caps. Yeah, but they, Vancouver, <laughs> that area already has the white cap, yeah. which is in the MLS. It's going to be tough to have a second pro soccer team that's yeah, going to compete. Yeah, that would be difficult. Uh, and, and also any of them in Toronto are mm-hmm. going to be difficult because you've got TFC. So um, the other ones, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's, I no different, I, that's no different than the Argos in Toronto and competing with the Raptors and the... And Lakes how does that work Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yes, you, you, you would like to be, if not the game in town, because, again, if you're in Edmonton and Calgary, you've got the Flames, you've got the Oilers, you've got the CFL teams, you're not going to be the game, but you don't want to be the B game of the same game. Yeah. And yeah. so you can at least offer we're the best... And, you know, those places, look, they're not close right now to having an MLS team where you can quickly go there and say, okay, there's way higher level right 45 minutes away. I'll go to that. They're more isolated. Those ones might actually work. We'll see. Yeah, that's the way I was looking at it. All right, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. What's on tonight? Do you know yet? Brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio every Friday night from 6 till 8. I mean, other than this conversation. Of course. And if you can read Scott, a sports <laughs> columnist in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Scott. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR, a pop culture uh, expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. 
Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of things, whether it's uh, DOFO, the sex ed curriculum, uh, Donald Trump in the UK, that's a good one, and even the kids being rescued from the Thai cave now have to put up with celebrityism. Alyssa Freeman is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Well, hello, Scott. You sort of caught me in the middle of things. It might be a little noisy in the background, but we're all good. Not a problem with that. I hope you're enjoying your summer. I am, and I hope you are, too. Yep. Uh, Donald Trump in the U.K., what are your thoughts of this PR nightmare? Do you think he'll come back a different man than what he left? Well, do you really think that that's possible? I mean, Donald Trump will come back with any news that he wants his base to hear. So, for example, when he left the G7 meetings, he was all about how he changed things and he changed the culture and that everybody's going to pay more and everybody kowtowed to him. And then Macron held his own press conference and said, uh, no, that's not what happened at all. So, honest to goodness, Scott, it doesn't really matter what really happens because the story, according to Trump, is the one that's going to carry the day for his base. That plays in the United States. Does that play in the UK? I mean, we, we certainly know the relationship he has with the media back here. Are, how are they going to take it? Is he, is, is, is he going to have the control there that he does here? Or will he just run home with his tail between his legs? On Fox News, yes, he will have the control. But the rest of us, I was watching the breaking news on ABC with um, George Stephanopoulos, who was there when they were going through the honor guard. It was a very um, interesting juxtaposition. So you had him, you had Trump with the Queen, you know, going through the honor guard, and then cut straight to a press conference about the Mueller investigation, telling about all the new allegations. Uh, that are coming out um, against the Russian nationals who are accused of spying. So it was a very interesting juxtaposition. Would that have happened on Fox News? Absolutely not. But on ABC News, yes. What about the UK's impression? What about their media's impression of this guy? Well, listen, they have no love loss for Trump. There is a blimp, an orange-like blimp that is floating over London. The mayor of London has absolutely no use for Trump. So he may be putting on a good show, but he knows what's going on behind the scenes. But what's interesting, Scott, is that during one of his visits, there was a parade of some sort. And he actually, George Stephanopoulos reported on this, and said, I like this parade. I think that we should do the same sort of thing. So you can see what Trump is getting out of these meetings. Uh, Donald Trump watches a lot of TV. He's commenting constantly on what goes on in the U.S. media. Uh, How is he going to feel watching what's going on in the U.K.? And you know he has to be. Well, of course he is. He is someone who uh, consumes media. And he is someone who is has a very thin skin and will be watching it very carefully. So, you know, what I, he, what I think will happen is that if he sees this negative coverage, you know, it might have some ramifications um, based on how he feels about the UK and how he will report on his meetings. If he feels that he has been hard done by, he might come out with a harder line. Although I would have to say that Donald Trump nor Melania, have ever received, have been received by a head of state such as the Queen of England. And I think that even if I was, you know, I was watching this morning and I was just watching his um, mannerisms with the Queen, he was absolutely on his best behavior. This is the photo op of all photo ops. And the only thing that was running through my head, Scott, was I'm sure that he had counseled his staff and all the photographers that follow him 
to get the best pictures possible so that he could have a picture with him and the Queen on his wall. Uh, that being said, he has certainly insulted a lot of people uh, since he's been there. She's obviously met all kinds of world leaders over her many, many decades. <laughs> what do you think she thinks of this character? Do you think she's going to offer him any advice? And of course, we're just speculating here. But as you mentioned, this is a pretty high-profile visit. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, Scott. yeah. To be a fly on the wall in that meeting. I am sure that she will be a very, very cool customer with Donald Trump. And she has seen it all. She has done it all. She has, you know, been with world leaders since the days of Winston Churchill, for heaven's sakes. Exactly. So you're not going to get anything past. So is she going to give some advice? No. But will she speak her mind on probably his policies? Yes, I think that she will. The Queen is no shrinking violet. Yeah. She will absolutely have her day with Donald it will be Trump, inter- and we will never hear about it. It will be interesting to see if he slags her, as he has slagged the Mayor of London and Theresa May and such. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think that he will slag the Queen of England at all. I think that he will say that it was wonderful, it was full of pomp and circumstance, and that she received him with elegance and that he, she respected him. You will hear nothing but platitudes from his mouth about Queen Elizabeth. He has said he doesn't feel welcome there. Can that be good for the UK? I mean, it's never good to uh, be in the crosshairs of Donald Trump. Whether, you know, the politicians want this or not, the people are certainly speaking out. If he's not feeling welcome there, is he now in the, or is the UK now in his crosshairs? You mean like Germany and like everybody else in sure. the G7? Yeah, good point. You know, <laughs> you know it's interesting. Um, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, said something very interesting when Donald Trump first slagged his allies. And you can't slag your allies because they do protect you. You know, you don't... I think people fear that Donald Trump is turning the United States into an island. And it isn't an island. It needs its allies and it needs its friends. Of course, if he is wishing to switch those allies, you know, with the uh, storybook, the playbook, according to Putin, that might mean something else. So that's, you know, it worries me. I will tell you, just as an onlooker sitting here in Toronto, it 110% worries me about the allies that uh, Trump is cozying up to and the ones that he's pushing away. It, 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 will, it will amaze me if he goes into Helsinki and says the things about Putin that he has said about his allies. Like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, or if he just continues to praise everything that they do. It'll be interesting to see if he kicks Putin around the same way he does other world leaders. There's no way he will kick Putin around. Absolutely not. He is 110% on Putin's side. He will give lip service to the media so it doesn't look like he's buddy-buddy with Putin and that he's taking direction, alleged direction from Russia. But I will tell you that there is no way he's going to be kicking Putin around. If anything, it'll be the other way around. Trump loves to play the tough guy, but I don't think there's any there there. What will the world say after all of these high-profile events like the NATO summit, like the visit uh, to the U.K. and with the Queen, and then eventually with the uh, visit with Putin? What's the world going to say if he doesn't treat 
Putin the same way he's treating everybody else. Because, you know, remember at the beginning he was saying the, the fire and fury things about Kim Jong-un, although he has not really talked that way with, um, with Putin. Although it will be interesting to see how Putin reacts to his comment in regard to Germany buying gas from, from Russia. Listen, I, I, I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. And I think that, you know, his version of the G7 meetings is absolutely the opposite version of everybody else's. So, you know, if Trump is trying to um, create a new world order, it's because he's, I think, under the spell of Putin. You know, he'll say, well, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. But listen, maybe we can be friends, too. That is typical Trump. Yeah. Remember Charlottesville? With the uh, KKK and the people against the KKK, well, there's good people on both sides of that uh, uh, issue, and there's bad people, too. I'm sorry. Good and KKK don't go together with me. And that's the same um, rhetoric that he is using with the Russians. Listen, I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to hold their feet to the fire on that, but you know what? We could be friends, too. No, you can't. Putin is a strong man. He is much more powerful than you will ever will be. All right, I want to touch on uh, the Thai soccer team uh, rescue. Why did this grab the world the way it did? There's a fascinating story where a ferry sank uh, in that part of the world and, and killed. Uh, it took the lives of 40 people. It never really got the attention that this did. Uh, how do you explain the way this gripped the nation, gripped the world? Well, you know, I think that there was always a glimmer of hope with this. And, you know, it's amazing what we learn now from 24 hours and the type of things that we could get back. This was an organic thriller of a movie that wasn't scripted and that was, was happening on its own accord. You know, you had hope when the top diver died. And then you also had intrigue because, you know, as they were taking the boys out, they didn't show their faces. The only way they knew you. Got, the only way we, as a consumer of information, knew that they were out is because you might see a helicopter fly by. Or you would see the ambulance go to the hospital. So it was very controlled image-wise from that, but it it gripped it because you know the downside would have been horrific. Yet there was always hope. And right now, with all the bad news and sort of the disruption of the world order, I think that people were were clinging to this story because people are looking for hope. They're looking for the bright side, mm. and this story had all the elements. How do these boys avoid being consumed by celebrity? Now they are where they are. Uh, they're obviously heroes in their homeland and around the world, even their coach preaching to them that they've got to go on. Or sorry, I believe it was one of the, the, the leader of the country uh, saying that, you know, you've got to go on and, and do great things with your lives. Are there pressure on these people now? Well, I think the only thing they're really happy about right now is that they don't have to write their exams next week. They got exams, which would have made me happy. Um, You know, that's interesting. You know, as we were watching this, my husband would say to me, every Hollywood producer is just salivating over this story. Oh, yeah. And then there's a lot of talk, well, these kids will be rich. But, I mean, these are Thai kids, you know, from a small town, and it all looks great when people are coming to them and throwing money at them and, you know, it's not going to be easy for these kids. And I, and, I, and I hope that there is, you know, some sort of protection or that there's a wall between them and all the people who are after them and want their story. So it, it's kind of interesting. And the other thing, too, that I think that people were very interested in was that there was no animosity towards the coach for taking the, the boys yeah. into the tunnel. Mm. And I can tell you, if this was like North America, there yeah. would have been a side story of, 
you know, we're going to be talking to the coach and the organization of the, you know, the soccer league. And, you know, we, we will be investigating all of this after. And we're, you know, we're not going to see what we think about the coach now, but you'll soon hear from us afterwards. There was none of that. Maybe there might be, but honestly, there was none of that. And I think that that positive and hopeful attitude also struck the world. All right, I, I can't let you go without chatting about the uh, the possible threat that was floating around Toronto yesterday. Lots of police presence and such. Many complained that uh, the Toronto Police Service didn't do a good enough job of telling people exactly what was going on, even though we really didn't, you know, I don't think they knew what was going on. What are your thoughts on how they handled this communication? Well, this is really interesting. I mean, if there's an immediate threat, what are you going to do? Put out a threat and say the city is under threat? Everybody gets scared? Well, no, you can't send a city into mass panic. At least I don't think that you should. You know, listen, 2020 is hindsight. There's lots of armchair security critics who would have said they should have done this and should have done that, but don't know a darn thing about security protocol. You know, we saw, I mean, you can definitely put two and two together when you heard where all the increased police presence was. It was all at major attractions. You know, from Wonderland. To but why not? You know, as it turned out now, there was, you know, it was a rumor floating around that it came through uh, a rental agency that, that somebody was going to plan another van attack. If that's all you know, why not just say that? Hey, just keep your eyes peeled for, for this sort of behavior. I mean, is that is that putting people's lives in danger? Is that creating, uh, um, you, you know, uh, chaos where there shouldn't be? I, I think it's the latter, Scott. I mean, I'm I'm speculating here. I don't know enough about this type of protocol, but um, you know, honestly, I've I've never heard of a security force giving out that much information. I mean, and a lot of this was speculative too. It was sort of an anonymous note. It was a they didn't know the source. I don't even think they still know the source. Um, other than it was passed on, the rental agency was used as a conduit. So it's it's it's. A very difficult call, but, you know, when you have to err on the side of putting people in mass panic about something that you don't know, then, you know, that's a call only the experts can make. So you think they handled that fine? I think they handled it fine. I mean, you know, I'm so jaded, Scott, that I thought that this increased police presence dovetailed with their new announcement on gun control. So I thought, <laughs> wow, this is the that's best big I've ever seen. <laughs> Whoever thought of this? It's well, brilliant. Yeah, there you so go. I didn't even think there was a terror threat, to be quite honest. So <laughs> what about Doug Ford's first, uh, time, uh, first few days in office? Well... Listen, he's giving everybody that voted for him the headlines. He's, he's producing on them. And what the conservatives are going to do, and I can see this for the next five years, is it's going to be big on bluster and short on details. You know, I fired the $6 million man, and I got rid of the board. And then the front page of the Global Mail said it actually cost $14 million in departures. So, you know, that's such a political, and I don't... You know, I can paint the brush and say it's a very conservative way of doing things. But, yeah, you're delivering on stuff, but you really don't, you know, you're not letting anybody in on the details. So I'm, example, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, the whole the whole severance thing is just a non-issue for me because, oh, it's going to cost this much. Well, then let's just keep them then. Let's just keep driving down the same route. To me, that just doesn't go anywhere. Let me well, ask you, know, you this. Let me ask you this. that you say that because when I talked to my mother about this, first thing she said was she he got rid of that board. And, you know, she's an American. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, yeah, you got yeah. rid of that board, 
and he got rid of that CEO. Good for him. But, like, but you know, I found it fascinating because it totally blindsided me. I did not see this coming because he said he was going to bring back the ledge. He's going to talk about the York University thing. He's going to uh, get rid of that latest wind farm project and get rid of cap and trade. And when they asked him about the big $6 million man, he kind of brushed it off. And then later in the afternoon, a press release comes out saying that the guy retires. I'm thinking, my God, this is amazing. I mean, this is... Uh, I didn't expect this. Did you? Not so fast. And I think it probably, this was in the works, but maybe they reached a deal faster than they thought they would. Hmm. And I think that all of these things were in the works. I think that they met, his caucus met, and they said, okay, what are the top three things we need to deliver on? We need to deliver on gas, we need to deliver on the $6 million man, and we need to deliver on the sex ed curriculum. We need to do something about it now. I, you know, this is just a little bit more than than uh, signing... Um, you know, what is it, state or, you know, uh, national orders like Trump does? <laughs> yeah, with a big Sharpie. Signature. Gets out the yeah, big with Sharpie. Yeah, the big Sharpie. But the, and that's all this really is. I mean, you know, sex ed curriculum, right? We're going to go back to 1998. Yeah, I don't Honestly, agree with that. Honestly, yeah, that's I, ridiculous. Yeah, I don't agree. But, and they'll figure it out later. Yeah. You know, my guess is they'll take out five or six paragraphs on this, <laughs> yeah. and it'll be the same old curriculum. I, I agree with you 100% on that. As far as the hydro thing goes, I think a lot of this has to do, and and I'm not sure, you know, and God bless the Globe and Mail, but everybody's been saying that these guys are going to get millions and millions of dollars as they walk out the door. Uh, and, and the Globe and Mail uh, was also quick to point out that uh, that Premier Wynn and Doug Ford agreed on the fact that the raises that the board voted them just before the election that put, of course, the final nails in her coffin, that, that yeah. she was totally Totally disgusted with that, but then never mentioned the fact that uh, even though it was uh, voted on by 90% of the shareholders as the way to go, the, go- the the government didn't even vote. And I think that's the correlation. There's something in there that explains all of this. These two well, people, I think so too. You know, I mean, for 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 them to vote themselves a raise before the election, and then her being the majority majority shareholder, and it could have stopped the whole damn thing, and instead abstains from voting. Like, can these guys be in a cozier bed? My goodness. I think that's that. That to me is at the core of this issue. Well, I, and, I, and agree I think, with you. and I think that's why Ford got this guy to go with no severance or very little. I think there's something more to this, and that's like, you know what, guys, our work's done here. There's really no reason to hang around. They're gone. Well, you know, it's and it's interesting. Sure, this listen. They telegraphed this message to them for a long time. All through, like, you know, the the CEO of Hydro One knew what was coming down the pipe. Sure, since May, and since before that. And every day in, in the media, his re- his rhetoric while saying, I'm going to get rid of the $6 million man. You know, it's interesting. Ford, Ford and his campaign was flagged for being, you know, short on details. And he just kept to his messaging. We're like, okay, well, what's his platform? What's his platform? Well, he just kept saying those three things. And he's delivered on those three things. And he's putting people back to work. And he's calling people back into the legislature. So people are seeing these things. You know, nobody goes deep into issues unless, you know, yeah. you are the investigative um, the part of the investigative department of a, a, a national daily or a, even a city daily like the Star that has the means to, mm-hmm. you know, delve into these things. Most people just listen to the headlines. And they like what they hear, and so far they like what they see. So I think, you know, as far as that, I would say that his ratings are probably pretty high right now. I think he hit the nail on the head. It's not about the $6 million and whether that saves us. It's about the change in attitude, the change in culture. Alyssa Freeman's been with us, PR and pop culture expert principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, you have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
fascinating story. You might remember the story of Gerard Como. He was the New Brunswick a man who decided to drive into Quebec, grab himself some beers, and uh, take it back into New Brunswick. Of course, he was uh, pulled over and charged, and in the end, fined $240 uh, plus administration, administration fees for driving home to his home province of New Brunswick with beer he had purchased in Quebec. And remember, this eventually went to the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, uh, for some reason, uh, Gerard, or sorry, uh, Gerard lost. So with that spirit, two breweries in Canada have created Gerard Como IPA in commemoration of the man who fought the Supreme Court in regards to interprovincial trade. Como's case involved, of course, the beer back and forth. The situation now is two breweries have come together, one in Quebec, one in Ontario, to create something that is legal, I guess. Let's bring in Dave Longbottom, owner of Flora Hall Brewery in Ottawa, and is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks, Scott. Good to be on. So tell us what you've done and why. Yeah, so with your backdrop, uh, which was excellent, I mean... We were going to collaborate to make a beer with our friends over in Gatineau. So I live in Ottawa, and Ottawa Gatineau. For those of you down in, in the in the east, there, it's 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 one city. I'm yep. sure most people are familiar yep. with it, but unfortunately, it's one city that spans across the provincial border. So when we tried to uh, get together to collaborate on this beer, I quickly realized that it was impossible to do so given the uh, ridiculous uh, interprovincial trade barriers that exist. So what instead, uh, what we came up with was the uh, notion of sending the brewers across the river since we can't send the beer across the river. So I sent one of my folks over to uh, Brasserie du Bas, Canada, in Gatineau, and they sent one of their brewers over to see me, and we brewed precisely the same beer on the same day, and we released that beer yesterday. And as you say, we named it after uh, Gerard Camo in, in honor of the work that he did to try and uh, change this, this crazy situation. So how does what you did make it legal? How is this, or is it illegal? Is, it, is this just a demonstration, or does this somehow make the beer now available to cross the border? Well, it, it, it only makes it legal because, in fact, we're not moving any beer. We're gonna, we brewed the identical beer in two places using one another's brewers, but I'm not moving my beer. I'm going to sell the beer we brewed here at Flora Hall here in Ontario, and uh, the folks at uh, Brasserie du Bas Canada will sell the beer that they made and we made together over in their brewery in Quebec. So we are selling the same beer. We're selling a beer that we collaborated on, but we're not actually required. To, we don't have to move it across the border because we, ha- we brewed two batches. But that's the ridiculous part is we had to brew two batches in two separate places to make this collaboration work. So is there any way you can take this one step farther and bring these two companies, these two breweries, even closer together to take this one step higher? Well, I mean, one thing that I might uh, try and do is to continue to do this type of collaboration with, um, you know, certainly if Brasserie Duval wants to do it with me, I'd love that, with other brewers in other provinces because it really is the only way that we're going to keep this conversation going. Now, I was pretty encouraged. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier that the things are at least, we have reason for optimism in Ontario, and I was pretty encouraged that in the throne speech they at least talked about opening up the monopoly channel a little bit and letting us sell through the uh, uh, corner stores, but they didn't really say whether that meant that I could go directly to the corner stores or whether I had to, to go through the LCBO. Time will tell. But if I can continue this conversation and this focus on 
on the the project that Gerard Como started, then I'll be happy. Can you guys come up with some sort of relationship where you alternate employees back and forth, and that will actually actually allow you to not only sell it but transport it? But that still wouldn't that still wouldn't get you the, around the transportation rule, would it? It's still not going to. Uh, no, it, w- it it wouldn't. And I mean, really, you know, the, there's two levels of it, right? There's the consumer level that Gerard encountered, right? Where he's just, you know a citizen who's going yeah. shopping and he happens to shop on the other side of the, of the uh, provincial border. But then at the business level, it's even more complicated because for me to sell a beer, you know, you know, I make in my brewery here for me to sell a beer five kilometers, eight kilometers away in, in uh, Gatineau, I have to go through the SAQ and mm. likewise, Brasserie de Bas has to go through the LCBO. There's no other way around that. And that's again, that's, that's that other level of complexity that's, created by these monopoly uh, liquor control boards. Uh, do you find it very odd that you guys are, are doing what you're doing in, in trying to draw attention to these interprovincial protectionist uh, trade laws when we're in the middle of a free trade NAFTA deal and fight with Donald Trump, who everybody's screaming and yelling that he's got protectionist ways, which is exactly what's going on here? Yeah, I do I do find it, I find it funny on one level and... <laughs> Yeah, sad. You're, you know, it's sad and, and, and depressing on the other level, but indeed, I mean, I don't think enough Canadians are yet aware of how much uh, bureaucracy and how many boundaries and barriers do exist between provinces. So the more they know about it, the more pressure they'll put on the provincial guys, and, and maybe it'll happen. I mean, Brian Pallister apparently this morning just called for uh, uh, the, the premiers at this upcoming meeting to uh, to start talking about opening up uh, the provincial boundaries to liquor and wine, but I, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath. So why do we still, we, we understand why these were put in place way back when, but again, considering where we've come with free trade with other countries and such, what is the reasoning behind this? Why, what is the problem? Is it because uh, of the LCBO and the, the I- intricacy of the distribution system? Why do we have these problems? No, I, I, I would, I would venture that it's more to do with just wanting to control uh, tax revenue. And I think they could control tax revenue and still allow distribution, but they don't seem to, to, uh, to, to agree. And I think like that's, that's really what the Supreme Court said in their ruling as far as, you know, I read it and I'm not saying I understand every single word, but at, at 40,000 feet, what they really said is we're scared to tinker with the power of the province to collect tax. And that's ridiculous, but that's, that's really what it said. So obviously, uh, if people in Ottawa were all taken across, uh, taken off across the border, and we know they do, uh, across the river to buy booze in Gatineau, then obviously Ontario is going to lose out because they're not getting the, the revenue from that alcohol Quebec is, correct? That's, that's right. So again, this is only going to affect places like Ottawa. I mean, are they going to lose that much? I mean, not, it's not like people are going to drive from Toronto to Quebec to buy, to buy booze or beer or such. I mean, they might do it if they're passing through, but are they going to lose that much by, from border cities? Yeah, one wouldn't think. But I mean, if they do open it up, then people can start shipping things around the country. And I, I don't see, again, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to do that it's it's and that was the whole premise of gerard's argument is look i'm a canadian i live in canada i i travel around in my car or i can you know i can buy various different products and have them shipped but not booze and and uh not anything else that the province likes to control is ontario or quebec interested in resolving this in any way i mean is there not is there not a system that would be compatible to both who knows 
I, 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 I wish I could tell you, but it's, it's only going to, I think, now get some attention uh, given the change in government. I mean, at least, at least it'll, it's something that we can start talking about. All right, so let's get back to the actual beer, our Gerard Camo beer. How, how did you and the other brewery get together on this? What, were you just sitting around one day? You know what we got to do? We got to do this. Like, how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> Well, I mean, basically, I, I'll be honest, the, the first thing that came came about was just the desire to collaborate. Like, these guys opened about the same time as we did, and we drank in one another's breweries and really liked each other and liked the style of beer and all this. So the collaboration idea came first. And then, I, you know, I'm a businessman. I looked into it. I said, we can't do this. We can't do this the normal way. So then we came up with the swapping of brewers. And then the next uh, sort of uh, mind... mind uh, uh, Spark was was to name it after Gerard, and I so I called I called up uh, his lawyer. I tracked down his lawyer through the media reports, and he got back to me within an hour and said they were they were both delighted with the project and uh, and happy to have his name associated with it. And I I'm extremely happy to have it associated with it because it it does continue this conversation that we're having right now. Now, any response from government officials? Any any what sort of feedback are you getting from all of this? Um, only the government officials who drink in my bar, they like the beer. I, I haven't <laughs> had anything official, and I'm hoping not to have anything official. I was a little worried, I'll be honest with you, that, that um, one of, the, uh, one of the, the provinces, be it Ontario or Quebec, would come and say, oh, you, can't send a, you can't send a brewer across. That's breaking some labor uh, regulation, but it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I hope it doesn't. So are you going to do this on a regular basis? I mean, you could send somebody, you could exchange employees once a week, a couple of times a week, and whip this stuff out as a border beer. It's a marketing, it's a great marketing strategy. Yeah, we may do it. I don't think we would want to do it too regularly or people get tired of it, but there's no question we'll collaborate again with the Brasserie Dubai so, the guys. And then I, I would look for a brewery in another province to collaborate with if there are anybody willing to put their brewer on a plane. I am, and if they are, then great. So talk about this. You know, obviously you're in Ottawa, the other brewery in Gatineau, just across the river in the other province. So, Dave, as you sit down and talk with the other brewer, how much different is it for him to run his brewery in Quebec than you in Ontario? Is there that much difference or is it pretty much similar other than you can't sell in each other's province? Yeah, he has a he actually has a slight advantage uh, in that uh, he can just in in my case, I can distribute to bars and restaurants, so other licensees directly. So I don't need to involve the LCBO in that. Um, whereas in in the case of me distributing through, say, a grocery store, I have to go through the LCBO right. essential. Whereas over in Quebec, they can sell directly to bars and restaurants as we can, but they can also sell directly to depeners, to corner stores that mm. uh, that are able to sell beer and wine, and that's that's a great channel for them because. There's a lot of those uh, corner stores that really have focused on craft beer and are, are, you know, carry a huge assortment of it and sell a lot of it. So that's that's one advantage that they uh, they actually enjoy in Quebec. I understand still with uh, in Ontario with beer being sold in grocery stores and such that it still has to go through the LCBO. Do you think that uh, or the beer store? Do you think that um, if uh, this changes in any way and, and beer goes into corner stores that you'll be able to sell it privately to them or do you think it'll still have to go through the LCBO the way that it does now? Yeah, well, time, time will tell on that. I'm, I will definitely be lobbying hard for uh, my ability to go and the crop uh, beer industry's ability to go direct, but uh, certainly the, the sort of history 
of alcohol distribution in Ontario would suggest that that's good. it might take time to change that. So what has the response been from uh, local media and people that know this story in your area? Uh, there's a pretty, uh, I would say, insatiable appetite for this story because everybody can relate to it so closely. I mean, they've not everybody necessarily had heard of Gerard Camel, but they're certainly very interested now that, the, that their attention has been brought to it again. But, you know, they've certainly all done exactly what you said and gone across to Quebec, got themselves some nice beer and brought it home and brought it to their cottage or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, unbeknownst to them, they were breaking the law. Um, so, yeah, there's a ton of attention on this. And I think, as you say, as you said earlier, Scott, the, the fact that we're focusing on, on protectionism, uh, you know, as, as a nation right now, makes it all the more, you know, ridiculous that we have these, uh, these trade barriers inside the country. So you guys did this for one day, exchange brewers, uh, Ontario, Quebec, vice versa. You brewed this one batch. It, 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 how much did you brew? What's happened to this stuff? It must be a commodity now. Yeah, so so we brewed we brewed the beer on the 21st of June, and then the, the brewing phase of this type of beer anyway takes about three weeks. So there was right. there was continued there was continued collaboration between the brewers uh, over that three week period, and then we both launched it yesterday, which was I guess the 12th of uh, of July, and we sell it in our brewery and two very beer focused bars in Ottawa and uh, Lupulus and Beer Brothers, and then uh, the folks in Gatineau have. Uh, at their brewery and in a number of great bars over on the Gatineau side. So, all, yeah, the response has been amazing. We we sold our retail fridge out uh, in the first day, and then we've refilled it today, and I'm sure it'll it'll go the same way. Uh, down, lots of interest. Does the beer taste exactly the same from both breweries? Well, I've got to go over there this afternoon and find out. And such is my uh, my lot in life, you know. <laughs> Good for you, man. I'm envious of that. So, by the way, describe the beer. How's the beer? So the beer is it's it's a really cool new style for Canada. I mean, it's uh, popular down in California. It's called a Brut IPA, so B R U T, like a champagne style IPA. Super dry. It's uh, got the sort of fruit nose that a lot of IPAs have, but very balanced, uh, high carbonation, super dry, really refreshing, and at seven point two percent, dangerously refreshing. Oh man, look <laughs> at that! You're not fooling around here. <laughs> so, uh, do you honestly get politicians coming into your establishment? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure, we, so, we do. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Centertown in Ottawa. Now, I haven't seen any. I will be honest, I haven't seen any yesterday or today, but I can't wait to see my first one. Well, you know what you should do <laughs> is the first time a politician sallies up to the bar and says, "Let me try some of this stuff." You should pour him a, a, a nice glass of it, a nice mug of it, and then just as about you're about to hand it to him, you should pull it back and go, "I'm sorry, I don't think this is legal. You're not going to have to. You're not going to be able to consume <laughs> this until you change the policy." See what they say. <laughs> I like it. All right. Like it. So uh, obviously the first day, sales are brisk. Uh, you, you say you might do this again. Where do you think this is going to go? Do you think it's going to garner any more attention? Yeah, I, I think it will. I think that uh, certainly if I can get uh, brewers in a couple of other provinces uh, to come along on this uh, on this project, then I think it will. It'll just continue the conversation across Canada because every province has the same precise or at least I shouldn't say the same precise rules but the same general restrictions on on this type of uh, this type of thing as you mentioned earlier Dave do you think that the government will come up with some sort of other angle to stop you from doing this or do you think they're just gonna leave it um, alone I think they'll leave it alone I mean I'm not you know I I'm not big enough 
I don't think to put a huge dent in their in their tax coffers with this approach, and I don't, and I also don't think I'm violating any 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 rules by doing what we're doing. We're it's a it's a collaboration, true and you know, true collaboration between brewers, and we're just uh, we're just doing being creative. Does Gerard is none of my business, but does Gerard get a piece, or did he just do this out of goodwill? Oh, this is all this is all for for the the good of the of the project. I mean, he'll get a, he'll get a piece in the form of some uh, tasty Gerard Como boot IPA, <laughs> uh, which I which which I'll have to ship across provincial borders to get to him. But I, I'm I'm as a citizen, I'll take the chance. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna need like it's like an old episode. It's like the old movie Smokey and the Bandit. You're gonna have to get someone to secretly take <laughs> something across the border for him. You know, a high <laughs> high speed chase at night, something like that. <laughs> Uh, right, Dave right. Longbottom has been with us. He's the owner of Flora Hall Brewery in Ottawa, who have collaborated with another brewery just across the river in Gatineau, and uh, of course trying to draw attention to the archaic uh, protectionist laws of uh, of interprovincial trade, certainly involving the brewing industry. Dave, thanks so much for the time. Brilliant idea. Good luck with it. Thank you, Scott. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.